listeners, so we've told you before, but we're going to tell you again about Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is this really cool subscription service where every month they send you a box centered around a cocktail theme that they've carefully curated. Inside the box, you'll find all of your ingredients, instructions, and even mixology definitions to help you craft your very own fancy cocktails. Whether you're looking to impress friends at a gathering or you want something new to enjoy while you watch a movie... The only thing you need to provide yourself is the alcohol. You can get $20 off of your first box by going to shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod. We've mentioned a lot of the boxes on here before, but some of the past themes have been May's Girls Just Want to Have Bourbon, April's Steeped in Vodka, March's New Frontiers, which was all about the New American Whiskey Movement, which I didn't know was a movement, but apparently it was back in March. (laughs) And February had the Japanese shochu daijobu box. Lots of different flavors, lots of really interesting cocktails to try out. Um, So again, remember, if you want to try Shaker and Spoon, you can get $20 off of your first box by going to Shaker and Spoon. That's shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod. Hello and welcome to another episode of Extraneous. Steven Universe Edition. Hey everybody, I'm Leah. And I'm Takia. Bam, out of the way. I love that, like just straight at the top. I feel like we haven't recorded in a million years and I forget how to do this. Oh my God, same. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Same, same, same. Uh, The world's a crazy place. (laughs) Um, But at least we have our podcast. That's true. And Steven Universe. Thank you, Rebecca Sugar, for this occasional light in the everything. Uh, (laughs) Uh, So before we get into Steven Universe, we wanted to talk to you guys about Mischief Media Podcast because we have a lot of really great stuff. Yeah. uh, Clearly, if you're here, Mischief Media, right? That's where Extraneous Steven Universe lives. It's where Extraneous Supernatural lives and Extraneous His Dark Material lives. Uh, We have a lot of really cool podcasts on the network covering all sorts of different things. And uh, but we have podcasts covering everything from from books, movies and TV shows to uh, health and wellness and business. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. So you can always go to mischiefmedia.com to check out all of the podcasts that we have going on. Uh, we actually have eight brands, basically, and nine different feeds. Yeah. Or ready for this? This is cool. If you go into any podcatcher of your choice, like Spotify or or Overcast or uh, Pocket Cast, whatever. And if you type Mischief Media, all of our stuff will They'll come all up. come up. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Um, so yeah, you should definitely check out other Mischief Media podcasts. Um, I want to s- specifically pitch A Story Most Queer because it's great and really fun. And also, I feel like we all need bedtime stories right now. Um, and it's just like sweet and tooth rotting and go for it. Yeah, not all the stories are sweet. Well, yes, but sorry, some of them. <laughs> some of them are. Some of them are very cute. The very first one is a meat cute that I quite like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so go check those out, y'all. Yay. We could all use more podcasts in our lives, but. You're here for this podcast. Heck yes, guys. We're going to get in Steven Universe. This section, what did we cover in this section? So much. 
so much. We finished season three of Steven Universe. So from Monster Reunion all the way down to Bubbled. Yeah. And last time I feel like we talked a lot about how we were getting to know um, more of the townspeople and things like that. And this one, we kind of pivot deep into uh, the Crystal Gems. Um mm-hmm. Right. Like we're doing more training. We are meeting new members of or old members of the Crystal Gems (laughs) that we didn't know before. Um, And we are like refocused on working to fight Jasper. Yeah, it's I feel like this is the first time that we've had an entire section where there is a focus. And this like every single episode with maybe the top exception of Monster Reunion is focused on the fight. It's interesting. It's almost like the time we spent with the townsfolk. And with Peridot and Lapidus and and everybody last chunk was sort of like a slow down before we ramped up into the the focus of this section of the season. I don't know. I think that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any big themes that you noticed? We, I feel like we talk about this every week now about how Steven Universe <laughs> tends to focus on the the same things over and over again, and 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 so a lot of the themes are. Are, are recycled or slightly new takes. Um, oh, one thing that I thought was interesting, I, I, unsure if it's quite of a quite a theme or if it's like a motif, but is the idea of your uh, a person's identity being defined by others. And we've definitely discussed this before in terms of like like what a gem is supposed to be, kind of. Mm. Um, but it comes up quite a bit this time, and in very uh, like it's stated bluntly, um, especially with Amethyst and Stephen uh, when Amethyst sort of is told to her face that she's supposed to be a court soldier that is like big and beefy and strong like Jasper. Uh, it it really affects her knowing what she sh- quote unquote should be. And we we did discuss that yeah. um, back in the uh, the episode where, where Peridot explains that she stayed in the ground too long and was small. But seeing it like sort of right in front of her face affects Amethyst. Uh, and then Steven simultaneously has similar feelings because – he literally out loud says something like, Ever, "Like I'm supposed to be my mom or I should be like Rose. And even though, again, he's had uh, troubles with sort of claiming his own identity or being like when Pearl used to confuse him with Rose, he's had those problems in the past. But now it seems like it is something that is actively spinning in his brain as he continues his training and as he comes across more and more uh, antagonistic characters who are, you know, mm-hmm focused on fighting him, whether Jasper is calling him Rose or or whether he is learning about what Rose did in the past. There's a lot of that coming up. And obviously the purpose yeah. there is uh, it's not good <laughs> for others to define you. You should be able to define yourself and accept yourself. Exactly. Honestly, like that is really interesting to me because, of course, Steven Universe is like such a queer show and going and looking at identity as whether it's supposed to be something that is externally like put on you or internally created and shared with the world to me is a really interesting theme for this show overall Mm -hmm. um do you know what I mean like like the supposed like the supposed to keeps showing up um and I'm loving the way that they continue to uh, question that and continue to push back against it um, and there are all of these moments where Jasper especially is like talking about how each gem is created with a specific purpose and like w- who you are meant to be is kind of defined from birth 
Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that seems to be like that the overarching idea of Homeworld and of gems. And I love the way that Steven and the Crystal Gems continue to push against that and continue to frustrate that and question it. And I think that we see a really good representation of that breakdown when we're looking at Jasper. And we'll talk about Jasper specifically um, later on in the show. But I think that it's really interesting to watch someone who isn't as easily swayed by the crystal gems as like a peridot or a lapis um, really struggle with that. No. Yeah. I I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, I think it's also interesting too, that the, the characters that we see sort of struggle with it, recognize it in each other and call it out as being something to not get hung up on in each other. But like, even if you can see it in someone else, you can't quite stop that in yourself. Right. Like Amethyst, I think, says something or like she's she's having sort of her breakdown. And then Stephen goes, what about me? I'm like, I'm supposed to be my mom. And Amethyst replies like, "Ugh, Stephen, no. Like it's even though she just had the same sort of crisis of self. Right. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a yeah, we all struggle with the same things, even if we know it's not right. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think that we see through like the Crystal Gems reaction to uh, Centipedal and like other uh, other corrupted gems, we see a similar like even though they understand that what Homeworld thinks a gem is isn't right, they still hold some of those ideas, right? Mm. Like they see they still see corrupted gems as like, you know, not able to be not as good as or like not as almost human I guess like they're not as uh intelligent as other gems and I think that in 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 that interaction we're seeing how these ideas these like societal norms that are placed on us are really hard to work through even even once we ourselves understand that like there's a problem with the system wow that's actually a really good point Sorry, I'm just like, I think that's a really good point. I don't need to add to that. But we also uh, get like really into toxic relationships, um, Mm -hmm. which honestly like all ties up to, right? Like all ties into issues with the system and identity and all of those sorts of things. The toxicity of like Jasper and Lapis uh, is is really interesting to watch play out in a cartoon. Mm -hmm. There's bits of Alone at Sea where it's almost like, surprising how uh blunt the show is being at what what one season in in a toxic or abusive or 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 just you know unhealthy like i think lapis says it wasn't healthy it or or she says something like that to jasper and it's and it comes from both sides right because it's not just Lapis is a character that we've talked about before as being portrayed as the the prisoner and the victim because of the fact that she she was trapped in a mirror forever and then she was taken as hostage and and then she she forced herself into this fusion with Jasper and, and basically, you know, held them both at the bottom of the sea. But there's an interesting moment where she says something to Jasper about how she hold on, I wrote it down the quote because I didn't want to put words in her mouth. She says, like, I enjoyed taking it out on you, like her frustrations, because I hated you so much. And like, that's kind of, it it shows that no matter who you are in this relationship, or who you could be in this relationship, it is not good for either person. And like, Jasper, who is somebody who is so against fusion in the beginning, and who only sees it as something as power, using phrases like, but I miss you. Yeah. 
God, the 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 one to one in what happens in a relationship that you are used to being in, even if it's not good to you, good for you, is like uh, almost shocking. Alone at Sea is an episode that is like almost like cold water in your face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Jasper is using lines that are like textbook abusive partner or friend or whomever in your life um right like she says it'll be better this time i've changed you've changed me i'm the only one who can Mm -hmm. handle your kind of power um and it's just like it gives me chills i just got chills yeah to see the way she is pushing lapis and kind of changing the I mean, it's it's a type of gaslighting, right? Like she's pushing Lapis and also reframing the experience mm-hmm. um, of what it was to be Malachite. Um, and it's really nice to s- get to see Lapis really like stand up for herself and and speak back and say that it was a toxic or dangerous relationship um, and to say no and to hold her ground. Um, that's really cool. And I don't think something we get to see that often. And especially in like, not a throwaway but like this isn't a big major showdown that we've been leading up to this is just like another episode of steven universe and i feel like in so many other shows this would be the type of thing where like lapis like we had to deal with it so many times leading up to it in order to get to the place where lapis could be like strong and standing on her own um and with steven universe it's just kind of like part of the fabric of the show which again is like what makes steven universe so great yeah the these conversations and these these episodes that that refocus on things like this they don't come across as like your after school specials or your very special episodes which is honestly a feat for a show that is so densely packed and a show that has so much lore and and spends plenty of time on humor and and side characters like it is it is it is genuinely like we're doing this because we love the show right but it is a genuinely impressive feat the things that Steven Universe is able to do um and never come across as uh mm, what's the word I'm looking for never come across as trying to just like check a box off on things you should include in TV yeah no i think that in this section of episodes especially, we start to see more of the relationship Rose has as the leader of the Crystal Gems and the way that she uses her power and become and continue to become suspicious of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the fact that she like bubbles bismuth and then doesn't tell anyone is like incredibly suspicious mm-hmm. um, because as a leader, like if you think that you're doing the right thing there's no reason to keep that a secret um it's also clear to me that each member of the crystal gems feels like they have an incredibly strong and specific relationship with rose in a way that i think is not possible to maintain authentically if rose Mm -hmm. is equally as invested in each of them individually does that make sense it does make sense and i think you're correct yeah, I, I think, and you know what, I think to to a lesser extent, um, that leads to Greg as well. Yeah. Um, they're, it's like clear they love each other and it's very cute and all of that, right? But like there are the whole uh, montage sequence and I think a little, I think I need a little change. Like it's not just cash or, or changing everything. Like it just, it just shows that like they are on completely unequal footing mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily toxic but it's not good 
Yeah. And I think that it, it just it creates a potential for a lot of honestly like bad behavior I guess like this is I feel like the power dynamics and all of the relationships that Rose has is off in such a way that if it were if they're if they were real world relationships I'd be very co- concerned um like they all have the potentiality of like Rose taking advantage of everyone and I yep. think that there's a degree to which she does mm-hmm. um and that is a problem for me Yeah. Um, And honestly, spinning off of that, I think it's one of the reasons why we hear sort of the the for the greater good parroting coming from Garnet. Um, And it is the first time I think that Stephen's obvious series long worldview at this point that everybody deserves a chance. Everybody deserves to grow. We should always try um, to to be uh, working for change and not just like violent or or fighting and stuff like that this is the first time that that is challenged by the crystal gems because when steven says to garnet like but why shatter like he he can't comprehend the shattering he can't comprehend it with bismuth when bismuth was talking about it um and he can't comprehend it when garnet explains what happened and garnet says that what your mother did maybe wasn't always right for her but was right for the earth or something like that or she says she qualifies it in some way and it it makes both the audience and Stephen kind of head tilt at that idea like that that goes against everything Stephen has stood for that it goes against everything he has worked to prove that he can do when fighting alongside the crystal gems like this is one of those moments where he can't change their minds I think I talked in circles does anything I'm saying is it sound like I'm getting anywhere I don't know talk in circles some more it's just it's just an interesting thing to me that typically Stephen can prove that his his desire to 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 reach for for acceptance and to advocate for change and to want to tuck it out and to find common ground all of those things they are typically at odds with what the gems want to do initially because the gems want to jump in and fight right yes and the gems will come around to his worldview very often this is one of those instances in which granted we are looking back at what happened in the past but garnet who is the most even keeled is not going to agree with steven on this one for her for the greater good actually makes sense this time yeah I think that we're starting to see where Stephen and Rose differ Mm -hmm. and I think that in the past so many times that Stephen's outlook is accepted by the gems it's because of some sense of like yeah that's what Rose would have said too Um, Mm -hmm. like I feel like that's that's a refrain that comes up again and again and I think that we're starting to see the cracks in that and we're starting to see where Rose maybe took things further than Stephen would or perhaps I think that we're starting to see where Rose saw herself as a moral authority in a Mm. way that Stephen doesn't yes and so it wasn't necessarily for the greater good it was for what rose saw saw as the greater good and i think that that's a really interesting and very nuanced dynamic to continue to explore and i think that the crystal gems inherently after you know being with rose for thousands of years um have her set of beliefs um within them and so when garnet is saying that like not to go steven's way to go like to do something for the greater good it's because rose established that Mm. 
her definition of the greater good. Okay, so those are like the big themes. Did you notice any anime stuff you want to school me on? Yeah, and there was so little that I literally went and <laughs> double-checked on the wiki. I was like, am I wrong about this? Uh, so there were a couple of things that folks mentioned that I was like, I don't know if that's a direct one-to-one anime thing, but um, so I didn't bother to include it. But that's fine because last week I told you anime stuff for 25 minutes or so. so. <laughs> but the the anime references that I caught were were both in business, actually. Um, one of which is the, the breaking point as a weapon. Um, looks now granted it is a piston based weapon like right it, it, the bat comes out and it shoots forward and that's where it gets its power um but a lot of folks um and myself included noticed that it it works a lot like the sort of like piston punch that is the attack of the big o in the anime of the same name which is a big robot anime that is very very cool reminds me a lot of uh metropolis actually i don't know that seemed like a cool reference and the big o is a great 90s property I say 90s. Actually, I think it's 2000s. I don't know what time is anymore. The other anime reference was was not uh, necessarily to a show in particular, but to something that a lot of anime uses. Uh, And that is because Bismuth was the first sort of double length Steven Universe episodes. We've had two parters prior that have aired back to back. But this is the first one that was designed to air as if it were a half hour slot. Um, And therefore, there are two commercial breaks and not just one in the middle. Um, And then to, to signal that you were about to hit a commercial break, it did that thing where it showed like a chibi versions of the crystal gems and bismuth getting onto a warp pad <laughs> yeah um so uh chibi means um chibi is cute and small basically is the the look that that is in case uh, folks didn't know what chibi was um but that's what's known uh in anime as an eye catcher and it signifies commercials in um in anime as well typically there's only one eye catcher in a half hour in a half hour anime show because that's where the commercial break would air but um other anime that have used uh, eye catchers uh, or are well known to uh, Sailor Moon for one does has done eye catchers for for most of its run and is always great. Uh, Yu Hakusho uh, did one that also had little chibi versions of the characters doing fun stuff. Um, one Piece, which is a really long running, still running anime um, that I know Rebecca and Steven Sugar have talked about being one of their favorites from when they were ch- uh, children, mm-hmm. um, has eye catchers. And then uh, for a, a more recent anime to show that this is still done, uh, Haikyuu, which is a uh, currently airing uh, sports anime that I adore has really fun little eye catchers that go in between. Um, so yeah, it's just something to, so that you're not so uh, shocked when you go in and out of commercial and it gives you a little fun doohickey. Mm, yeah. Um, and those aren't used in American shows. So those are those are your anime references, all two of them. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I totally noticed the like uh, eye catcher thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is interesting. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't know what it is, you're like, why? <laughs> this isn't part of the episode. Yeah. Also, to be honest, I didn't notice that Bismuth was longer than other episodes. Um, and so that explanation makes a lot of sense uh, because it did feel like a midway point. But like randomly, because I was watching it on Hulu, right? It didn't go into a commercial. It was just like that card into mm-hmm. the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, great. So now it's time for our top five. Top five, top five. Do we? Let's just get into it. We don't need to qualify nothing. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> All right. So at number five, we have Crack the Whip. Number four, Monster Reunion. Number three, Back to the Moon. 
number two, bubbled, and number one, bismuth. Obviously. Like, yeah. I don't think there's any... Gah. All right. We'll talk about bismuth. But... I mean, we, we've already talked about bismuth. Come on. <laughs> We're going to continue to do it. Um, so what was your bonus episode this week? Yeah. My bonus episode was Greg the Babysitter. Um, because I just, I really love it. It's like not top five when stacked against the episodes that we just mentioned. Um, but it's very cute and it gives us a lot of great background on Greg and the crystal gems. Um, and the moment when Rose is like, you wouldn't believe how long it took me to realize that like you and that were the same thing talking about baby sour Mm -hmm. cream, just like is so cute and like funny to me. Um, because honestly, like full-grown men and babies are very (laughs) different like you know like there's something about that which like as a human person like I I know that that's crazy but it's also it makes a lot of sense yeah I love that also babies are cream so cute so cute what's your bonus uh my bonus was earthlings and um like we're gonna talk about uh, a lot of the stuff that surrounds earthlings but um I I love Stephen and Amethyst's relationship. This whole section does a lot of work in that regard. Um, and this is the episode where they first get to fuse and they do it in this moment of like, I don't know. It's just this really great moment of of emotional connection between the two of them. And it's just a hug. And it like, it kind of just yeah. proves that Stephen and Amethyst do have that sort of sibling, close, loving relationship that uh, the show has always sort of angled them to be. And I love that a lot. It's also really intense when it ends with Jasper sort of being overcome with this corruption. And it like the episode turns from like you rooting for Stephen and Amethyst or for Amethyst first and then for Smoky Quartz to to defeat Jasper. And then they do and it's triumphant. And then just sort of the almost uh, sickening turn that it takes because it's not it's really awful to watch what happens to Jasper in that moment. Um, and I I don't know. It's it's just a really good an interesting episode for me also because the beta kindergarten is that sandstone i think it's a really different looking set piece everything that happens in the beta kindergarten i think looks really cool um so i don't know earthlings yeah no i agree so that brings us to our actual top five starting at number five with crack the whip I really like Crack the Whip um, because I think that it starts this like downward spiral for Amethyst, which like is a horrible thing to say. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a really interesting moment for her character and something that we've seen before. And so this need of Amethyst to be needed, um, Mm -hmm. I think is really interesting. And when we see... Uh, Steven and Connie fuse and able to like beat back Jasper without Amethyst's help. Um, and her reaction to that is, is a really interesting moment for me in Steven universe. Um, also, it's just kind of fun to see them like hanging out and like, j- like running around and just like, being, <laughs> I don't know, being kids. Yes. There's so much great like kid stuff. The, the bit where Steven and Connie are training and Steven's like, Amethyst, are you even watching? She's like, yeah, what's it look like I'm doing? And he goes, like, you're not watching? Like, <laughs> what a great moment that we've all pulled with with adults or parentals or, or even older cousins or something like that who we want to impress. And I think that's the other interesting thing in the episode, right? Like, Amethyst, you mentioned her, her need to be needed. And I think that she is struggling to 
at this point, find where she fits in in the need, right? Because mm-hmm. is it in being this goofy sibling cousin type who's there to to play with you and to make you laugh and to do gross things? Or is it the type who's going to protect you? And both of those things are challenged in this episode because she's being goofy and all that. And the kids want to train. They want to they want to get better and all that stuff. Is she needed to protect them because she ends up trapped in her gem and by the time she comes out, Stevani has beaten them back. And so the fact that both of those things have challenged her perception of her place on the team and her place in these people's lives, like, is, you're right, is really interesting. And, like, it's not great to watch a character sort of have to do a bit of a spiral and, and, and reckon with their own uh, mm-hmm. self-worth and stuff like that. But it it is definitely interesting to... Yeah, to and sort I, of watch her grapple with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of it, right, like Amethyst comes out stronger. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important for Amethyst as a character and honestly for people in general um, to find their own self-worth and not like have it be dependent on external forces. And I think that that, right, like Crack the Whip really establishes how Amethyst needs to be like wanted, needed, liked, what have you by Stephen and Connie and by extension, all of the crystal gems. And I think that it's an important marker because then as we see Amethyst grow, we're able to look back and say, and like really see the arc that she's taken on. Mm-hmm. Monster reunion in number four. I feel like this was a big one for you. This episode really devastates me in a, in so many ways. God, it's awful. Um, but also like happy sad i don't know <clears throat> it's hard so monster reunion uh was the the first episode of the section that we watched and it was one of those things where it started and i was like oh no <laughs> i don't want to deal with with this seeing the uh like we've seen all the the corrupted gems before right and we've already seen it with centipedal because we saw uh the struggles that that centipedal had in in monster buddies and we've already discussed that, but there is something about as she starts to regain uh-huh. so much more that is like what ugh, it's like watching her deteriorate as Stephen tries so hard to work with her and and as she tries so hard to communicate with him um, is is just like, I don't know, it's upsetting. And apparently I like being upset. Um, but I I also really appreciate the. The storytelling mechanic that they chose to use in this episode where Stephen gives her crayons and is like, let's communicate through the the universal language of art. And the story as Stephen narrates it to her drawings as she draws the spaceship and the war and the corruption. And she does it by just like scribbling all over her paper with white crayon Uh and like... I've never I've never seen such an emotional use of stick figures in my life. Like it is it is <laughs> such an interesting storytelling mechanic that fills you with a sense of sadness and dread and it is quite good. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's another tale of acceptance, right? That mm-hmm. like what we get at the end is Centipedal returning to her crew. Um and learning that what Stephen saw as like scribbles was actually like written language. Yeah. Um, and so it's just kind of about shifting perspectives and and realizing that like, you know, even if someone isn't perfect, you know, maybe they're perfect for them. 
um, right? Like centipedal is at the stage of uh, regeneration or what have you with the rest of her crew. Um, mm-hmm. And like it's able to go and like stay in the spaceship with them. It's really it is really beautiful. Yeah, I also quite like the the last moment in it where where Pearl's like, no, it's writing, and she told us, and da da da, whatever. And Stephen asked to learn the gem language, and Pearl's like, uh, it's gonna be difficult. He's like, just a few things. And he's like, uh, hello, and where's the bathroom? And then he ends with, and I'm sorry, and it's, oh, yeah, like it just, like it just, God, Stephen is such a. His empathy really is limitless, and it is always impressive to me when he, when honestly, when the the show allows him to be that way. Um, yeah, it breaks it. That whole episode breaks my heart. But like, like you said, like the her reunion with her crew is is happy, sad in a satisfying way, and all of that other stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. I've I've I'm done talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, back to the moon. Hey, guys, remember when we were like, hey, the moon base episodes are wild. They're wild. They are. Like, I don't even have words um, because we're getting yet another perspective on the gems war and the, you know, history of homeworld and things like that, right? Like, hearing it from Eyeball is just like... It's the first time that we are really getting like more details and more information on Pink Diamond, um, mm-hmm. for one thing, and you can tell the like unease. I think that is uh, that all of the crystal gems that I know that you want to go on like your pearl tirade um, <laughs> have with this story, uh, uh-huh. and it's just I don't know. It's just really interesting. Every time we're in the moon base, it's like whoa, there is so much history um, that is holding up the narrative that we see right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is interesting. Uh, it fills in a lot of gaps that it could have been great had, which we when we talked about it, we discussed that Peridot tells from her the the story uh, from a almost a zealous type of place like Yellow Diamond is so cool and look at what could have been and da, 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 whatever. And we talk about how the other gems are very quiet, uh, notably how Pearl is very quiet when discussing these things and how we only see a little bit of what we can see inside of the base. As Eyeball begins to discuss uh, what she witnessed during the the war, especially in relation to Rose Quartz and Pink Diamond, we are suddenly seeing so much more. It's like the like the picture is being completed or filled in, I think is what you said. I feel like I'm repeating a lot of what you were saying, and I don't know why I'm talking in that circle. So I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, but it is also an episode that when watching it live, this was the episode that wrecked a huge fan theory that was held very strongly for a lot of people, myself included, for a long time. And I don't necessarily want to get into it, but like... Wait, what is it? It was the Rose Quartz is Pink Diamond fan theory. Oh. Because Pink Diamond had never been mentioned, and Rose was the suspicious character, and... Every, like heavy, heavy. We were all heavy into Rose Quartz's Pink Diamond. And then Eyeball says, I watched her shatter Pink Diamond with my own eyeball. And everybody went, what? <laughs> like it was like the it was like the writers had been watching us all spiral and theorize for a couple years and then were like, and you're wrong. And that's like cold water in your face was something else because not only was it our theories going down, but similar to how Steven reacts, it is 
oh no, it's so much worse because we've already had an episode where Stephen like talks about how anti-shattering he is. He's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not good. And so to learn that his mother could do that thing is is devastating to Stephen. Also, the rubies are hilarious and stupid. I love the rubies. Also, Back to the Moon is just a good episode. Yeah. Like, I don't think that we... Uh, I think it's hard when we're talking about episodes of Steven Universe to, like, just talk about them as, like, episodes of television. We are often talking about how they relate to the overall overall story or how mm-hmm. they enrich a specific character. But, like, Back to the Moon is just a good episode. There's a lot of suspense in mm-hmm. uh, whether or not Amethyst is going to be found out from uh, holding her Jasper figure we get like this beautiful shot of them walking up those steps past the pink diamond mural um and then the end when the rubies are being sucked (sighs) out and they grab steven like that is just like yeah this is just like beautiful storytelling the the like honestly chilling scream that comes out of it sounds like pearl but i assume it must be supposed to be sardonyx but like just the like as that happens is it it is it's chilling it's a gorgeous episode and like and and in addition to that like it does the thing it does really well is it throws bits of comedy in there like you are off balance because the ruby show up in the beginning and lapis has them all in bubbles and she's like they showed up in their ship acting very angry and i put them in timeout and it's funny and it's a little bit funny like to watch amethyst be jasper until you see her start to sweat and then you're right it gets suspenseful and then it gets it turns into a horror moment when mm-hmm. when when eyeball ruby says that rose shattered pink everybody is quiet and silent and like pearl throws her hands over her mouth and it looks like a scene out of a horror movie like everybody is shocked and nauseated a little bit and like you're right it does so much to for your emotions in addition to telling or filling in some very important facts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of the horror of, uh, well, not only that scene, but also the shock of Stephen being pulled out into the Whew. into space, uh, bubbled. Woof! Talk about claustrophobia. Claustrophobia in the vastness of space is a wild thing to portray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, honestly, I don't know how to even start to talk about this episode because it's also just like so small. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just Stephen and Eyeball and like this this really acute horror of like never seeing Earth again and mm-hmm. also. Steven is obviously still dealing with the shock of Rose Quartz shattering Pink Diamond um, and his own identity while also, you know, grappling with the potentiality of like dying in outer space. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a lot that happens in a very it's a very quiet episode. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too. like you said, the he's grappling with the shock of, of Rose shattering Pink. Right. And I think in, in a way that that we learn that we we have seen prior and that we will continue to learn through Steven Universe and into future, uh, Steven Universe future, is that that translates for Steven that he should feel guilty and then he wants to assuage his guilt. Because I think that, like, even though it's like a silly argument he has with Eyeball, it's the, I, I, I have the gem and I have her powers and look, she's right here. Like, he does that thing where he's trying to make this ruby soldier who sees him as an enemy already he's in a dire situation but like his 
his thought process in that moment was to make her feel better, but like by by owning up to 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 what that he houses part of Rose Courts and therefore he needs to make up for that. Like it is a a very strange logic that Stephen is operating under that has to do with with supposed or assumed guilt. Mm-hmm. Um and it is a pension that he will continue to have, especially, and we talked earlier about in regards to his identity and how that ties to his identity to his mother. It's so wild to me that Stephen can be floating in the vastness of space in a little bubble with this angry, angry little Ruby who wants him dead and still be worried about her and still want to make up for what his mother did 5,000 years ago. Like, I don't know. It's interesting. Also, I cry at the end of that episode. I mean, yeah, when Steven is in the fetal position and cl- and the bubble closes in around mm-hmm. him, like, oh, it's a it's another reminder, I think, as we are seeing these episodes where Steven is showing this like enormous enormous emotional maturity, it's another reminder that he's just a kid. Yeah. Um and I think that that is what makes it so sad and like scary mm-hmm. um because he is like as small as you can make yourself in this like vulnerable position in the middle of space. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And then like giving him the reunion with the gems, but not giving them dialogue around it because it just plays with the music. Right. So you just see Pearl and Amethyst and Garnet all crying because they, they somehow managed to get him and he somehow is okay and not, you know, dead in the vacuum of space. And the show doesn't really give us the typical, Steve and we were so worried or whatever. Like they, they don't let us have that moment because it's going to, it has to come back to what is more important to Steven in that moment. And that is, why did you never tell me? Mm-hmm. And then, so Garnet, has to find something to give to him in that moment because it's not enough to hug him and to tell him that we're so glad you're here and alive and we were so worried. That's not what is needed in the moment. What is actually needed is we have to go back to this thing. This is too big. You should not have kept it from me. We should have talked about it. This is huge. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that the show doesn't waste our time or theirs with sort of the... The, the like dallying beforehand yes yes absolutely so at number one we have bismuth one of the greats this is definitely one of the best steven universe episodes period end of sentence yes period end of sentence um it's also like really fun mm-hmm. i think that it's interesting to watch the steven universe episodes color palettes um mm. because right like we get a lot of like blue episodes that are like moody and you know like sad right like we've honestly been talking about a lot of them right like back to moonbase and bubbled like these are very blue episodes mm-hmm. um and bismuth is like this very bright very pink because we spend a lot of time in lion like episode that is full of color um that i think makes it really fun and it also acts as a contrast um, to the darkness inherent in kind of Bismuth's stra- like Bismuth's struggle and strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this is a very bold episode. Yes, I like that. I- in addition to things like 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 color and scope, like this, as mentioned earlier, it was the first episode designed to be double length, and I think 
it was it's one of the things where I feel like the Crooniverse was deciding it wanted to test itself like it did with Mr. Gregg in testing for a musical episode. Um, and I think bismuth is another test, right? And I think they not only were what happens if we design an episode to be double the length of a typical Steven Universe episode. So what happens if we, instead of writing like we have done for a hundred episodes already, let's change that up. Like that's a big deal. And they not only succeed in the format, but they do it with a story that is so big and hits so many different emotional beats that you kind of go, I can't believe you managed to pull this off. Bismuth was another long held like sort of fan obsession uh, from the moment that Steven goes inside Lion and you can clock everything that's there. The t-shirt, the chest, the 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 sword, all of that stuff. And from the jump, a gem in a bubble. And Bismuth as a as a real our earth gem looks a specific way. So people could see the gem in the bubble and go, okay, it's a bismuth, but who is bismuth in the world of Steven Universe? So like it was like waiting to deploy something that fans had been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And they managed to do it. And I and I truly think one of the like this is a top 10 Steven Universe episode in general. And like I'm not even talking about like the content of the episode, just like as as they they managed to execute it. Yeah, absolutely. And then honestly, when we start to look at the content, I think that this is one of the episodes where we learn the most about Rose. Um mm-hmm. Because for me, the moment at the end of the episode where Steven throws the shatter ram whatever into uh, the molten lava to destroy it is like the most telling about the difference between Steven and Rose. Because even if Rose didn't want to use the uh, shattering weapon um, and she bubbled bismuth because of it like she still kept it and I think that that is Mm -hmm. the vast difference between Steven and Rose and there's just like so much meaning in that moment where he's like this is an awful thing not only am I going to like not use this uh, and bubble you because we are obviously having some differences here but (laughs) I I will tell everyone and I'm going to destroy this because like this is very wrong and it's that that moment for me is so important in I think the like in Steven Universe overall, because it's showing us the difference and like how true to his ideals Steven is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. And I honestly, I didn't even think of it until you said it like that's the distinction between getting getting rid of it and and keeping it is such a different. And then also simultaneously, like the fact that Rose lied and hid bismuth and just let everybody assume that their that their friend and comrade was gone um versus steven being like of course i will tell them like because that's the right thing to do and it's and it's god it it is such a stark difference between steven and his mother that like it's almost wild to to imagine why steven would think that he was anywhere that he was anything like her at all is is hard to um is hard to fathom. Um I'd yeah. also like to mention one of my sort of favorite deployments of a of a long and sort of uh, a tried and true joke deployment 
that I think is done really well here. And it's it's not something that like a kid's necessarily going to pick up on. But like so one of my favorite bits in comedy is the whole is the the sort of the, the universal truth that comedy comes in threes. Right. Uh-huh. And it has been deployed in two different cartoons in my favorite ways ever. And one is for comedy and the other is for almost horror. And in it's in uh it's done in Rick and Morty, in which there's a list in like the season three premiere where Rick says f- four funny things in a row and then says comedy comes in threes, but he just listed four things and it's one of my favorite bits. And then <laughs> it's done in it's I can't think of the things that he lists, but it's funny as hell. And it's one of my favorite like sort of deployments of that. And then it's used here where she said where Bismuth says, let's get down to Bismuth. And the first time he says it, she says it, Stephen goes, ah, oh, she's got jokes, too. And the second time she says it, Stephen laughs. And Amethyst is like, well, the same one again. And Stephen goes, it'll be really funny if she says it a third time because he's referencing the show. And then the third time she says it is when they're having their confrontation in the forge. Mm-hmm. And it's not funny. It is the opposite of funny in that moment. And what a what a what a bait and switch. It's it's like the it's the perfect bait and switch because you are waiting for this. You've been told it's coming. You expect it because that's how comedy is deployed often. And instead, they just they just get you. And I'm like, I hate the Steven Universe writers sometimes because they are very good at their jobs. Yeah, I just I think that this is a great episode and we get to explore honestly, like each character kind of individually in their relationship and reaction to the bismuth. Um, And it's just it's a tight like beautiful episode Mm -hmm. and uh it's really great to sort of end with that because the next section is the character section and i would like to talk a little bit about bismuth yeah let's go let's go (laughs) so uh in terms of introduced characters bismuth is the biggest one that we meet uh and one of the things that we didn't discuss three and a half seconds ago while we were talking about (laughs) the episode but it fits better here is bismuth's role in in showing a different angle on what war is and what fighting a rebellion is because the gem rebellion was explained has been explained as as what it was we fought we fought battles and and for pearl it was glorious war and and these are the things we did and 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 greg does take a moment to mention to steven that's that war is never good early on in the series that sort of thing but hearing bismuth talk about why she joined the rebellion and why she fought so hard and hearing the the passion with which she speaks about her her fellow soldiers and her friends and the the sort of ire with which she speaks about the gems of homeworld that they fought against is yeah. such a different viewpoint than we've had and it's one that I think is really really important because if you don't think of it from that angle you are removing the reasons for the war without bismuth we do, it's it's still fluff and cloud in the air we're still not seeing it bismuth is what brings all that back down to to earth if you'll forgive <laughs> yeah no and she really introduces class to mm-hmm. homeworld gems, um, which is something that I think we've been able to avoid because all of the crystal gems that we know are honestly part of a aristocratic class, mm-hmm. right? Like pearls as the servants to 
diamonds and sapphire and rubies as I mean right like they all are like very uh, of the servant class that works directly with the diamonds and so Mm -hmm. there's there's a degree of clout that comes with that as opposed to bismuth who is clearly and like mentions being of like a lower class in this system Mm -hmm. um And I think that that is really interesting and something that's important to bring up. And also, like, what you're saying about it, like, grounding the war, the fact that Bismuth created weapons, Mm -hmm. I think is really important because otherwise, exactly what you were saying, it's this, like, ethereal, up-in-the-clouds, like, magical idea and not, like, real violence. And Mm -hmm. Bismuth really grounds that in, like, weapons of destruction and war and, right, like, steel and, and... yeah like really really grounds and makes tangible what this thing is we've been talking around Mm -hmm. it also helps too that bismuth is sort of the with the exception of jasper bismuth is like she's like the biggest gem we've seen right like because bismuth's like per her were laborers they built the spires and the 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 hubs and the and the temples and everything like that um, so she looks stronger, but in contrast to Jasper, who is big and beefy and like, I think comes across, I think is portrayed often as sort of, a like a, what's the word? Like a, like a meathead kind of like, this is just the jock, the soldier type. Bismuth is this massive, strong, works in fire and works in forging, but she's given these moments of like small joys when when seen next to her friends, the way that they all react, well, they all, the way that Garnet and Pearl react to her appearing, the way that she supports them, like, uh, in in training, like, in throwing soft jokes at them and, like, mild teasing and, and lifting them up with her words is such an interesting way of looking at deconstructing what homeworld assumes a gem has to be because they were created to be this gem you pop out of the ground with your mission and our bismuth popped out of the ground uh, you know supposed to like build things and she chose to rebel and in addition to building things she makes fun jokes with pearl and she she tells amethyst that she's special even though she's strong and she wants to help everybody what a what a fascinating sort of look at what a at what a a gem has the potential to be in a different way than we've seen prior yeah i love when she uh calls garnet the power couple just like (laughs) love it your ruby is showing like god the way (laughs) bismuth speaks is so good yeah also i love her rainbow hair Uh, i love i really i really enjoy bismuth um and i can kind of understand where she's coming from right Mm -hmm. like bismuth is that uh i think that it's important in narratives like this that we explore the extreme ideology um Mm -hmm. and bismuth's a really interesting iteration of like no the the homeworld is broken and in order to have in order to fix anything we have to destroy them um i think that that's right like that's a really understandable perspective to have Mm -hmm. um Right. Like, honestly, Bill, uh, uh, Bismuth reminds me of like your killmongers. Right. Like mm-hmm. that, it's the like, 
you know, you ha- like a radical revolution, like you have to kill everyone, <laughs> which, yeah, you know, I'm not saying you should, but I, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand that perspective. Yeah. And like, I, I think what's also interesting is like she's unable to reconcile her emotions when it comes to all of this. Right. And I and I do think it's fascinating that though it's sad that in the end she's poofed and put back in a bubble. I think it's also telling that we're not writing her off. These other Garnet and Pearl have had over 5000 years to reconcile their anger. Yes. And to and to come to terms with like and and they were able to do it with Rose and after seeing what happened in the corruption and they were able to grieve their friends. Bismuth popped out of a bubble thinking that the war was yesterday. Yeah. So like it it shouldn't be expected of her to be able to reconcile her 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 anger and her frustration and her and her desire to keep fighting like none of that should be expected in that moment. And so while it is sad that in the end she is rebubbled because she can't. She can't come to terms with any of that. Yeah. I think. I mean, she's part of she's part of an old guard, right? She's not of this Mm -hmm. time. No, I think it's a really interesting way to look at that sort of ideology. And like, yeah, maybe she can come around and or or maybe she can sort of find the moments of calm or, or different strategies or tactics. But a her initial tactics were not necessarily wrong because of how awful everything was. But also B, sure. But like you need actual time and she didn't have any of that and so i think it's um yeah i don't know bismuth is fascinating bismuth is fascinating and i think um i mean i mentioned this when we were talking about the episode as a whole but i think it's also interesting to explore like bismuth's emotional relationship with rose and how much we learn through that and the Mm -hmm. moment when she's looking at steven and says, you should have shattered me back then. At least if I were in pieces, I wouldn't have to know how little I mattered to you. You didn't even tell oh. them. You bubbled me away and didn't even tell your friends, my friends. Like that is a, uh, it's like a gutting, like really sad. I think that we all have had that experience of like, oh, like looking in, like looking at a person and saying, okay, like my entire perspective has been shifted. I realize that you just don't give a shit. Like you don't yeah. care about me. Um, and it's so it's such a like sad moment. Yeah. Um, because Bismuth is like you should have killed. Like right, like you should have destroyed me. Yeah, because and because like that would be better than feeling this. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so devastating to think about. Like not not only has she popped out of a bubble, all of her friends are dead. The the, it's been 5,000 years. She's not allowed to be consistently angry at Homeworld. Oh, but also she doesn't have Rose to scream and yell and ask why. Like, yep. what a terrible position to to sort of wake up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, again, I think what an interesting character to choose to introduce into this world that often deals in, it so often deals in the gray and in the, in the, well, we can always do things for good, but introduce a character who has to very starkly live in on one side or the other. This is a kids' cartoon. We all know that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not afraid at all to go there and to to present these ideas to children is something I love. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I feel like we could talk about Bismuth forever. Um, <laughs> but we also get introduced to Smoky Quartz. Number two of the Orange is the New Black voice crew in this section of episodes. Yeah. Uh, 
because uh, Bismuth is voiced by Uzu Aduba and Smuggy Quartz is voiced by Natasha Leone, who sounds so much like Michaela Dietz, the voice of Amethyst, <laughs> that when it first happened, I thought it was a lie that it was Natasha Leone doing the voice. I was like, no way. That's just Michaela Dietz. Nope. Smokey is such a fun fusion. Uh, yeah. So it's really great to see her as kind of this combination of Steven and Amethyst. Um and especially like because in these episodes we're seeing this like Amethyst grappling with like her own individual identity. Um, and I'm excited to see more of Smoky Quartz. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to get more of her and, and really get to explore sort of that personality kind of in the way that we get uh, like in bits and pieces we get to explore Stevani's personality. But like Smoky Quartz is fun. I love the yo-yo. Like I just love. I love that this fusion between Steven and Amethyst is still a little bit short. It's is like still <laughs> is still chunky, like and still and like fun and having a good time and can kick your butt. Like, gosh, what a brilliant design of a character. Um, I also love that Steven's first fusion. Like, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the fact that Steven's first fusion with a gem is with Amethyst. Uh, because the two of them are so similar uh-huh. in their insecurities and in the way that they treat each other like it just it it fits so well that this is the first time that we see Steven fuse with one of the crystal gems and like I really enjoy it and oh. she's got three arms that's really cool right <laughs> like... um I think we've referenced um that there's a lot of amethyst in the section of episodes dealing with her self-value internal Mm -hmm. self-value trying to figure out um where she belongs among the crystal gems and like how she stacks up i think that as we learn more and more about the hierarchy of gems amethyst's sense of being set apart and like a lack of Mm -hmm. belonging makes a lot of sense right like she is the only one of the crystal gems um that we deal with the most uh to be born or born to be created on earth um to come out of the kindergarten and also she came out of the kindergarten you know at a smaller stature than she was quote-unquote supposed to be um Mm -hmm. and i think that that is something that really hits amethyst and we have to see her work through Mm -hmm. there's also something so relatable in in what we see amethyst go through like we've dealt before with sort of like the uncomfortableness she had in in coming from the kindergarten and the kindergarten being seen as bad and so she's being seen as bad and and seeing for instance sardonyx as punishment for the fact that sugalite is so out of control like we, we've we've seen a lot of that in amethyst and i think what i find most interesting in this section is now we see amethyst know that she has these issues she says it at one point like she says like that's she's like I get mad at myself that's what I do I get mad and then it makes me suck at everything I do even more she is completely aware of her own problems when it comes to like her anxieties or her her lack of self-confidence and it is interesting to see a character say those things out loud and see them still struggle it is not a magical cure-all to to like have a breakthrough the breakthrough of like oh i just have these spirals that's what's wrong with me i'm fixed she's not fixed she still has to deal with those things she still has to deal with feeling like she missed out on the war so what was she worth and she's smaller and she's the weakest like she has to deal with all of that um and so watching her say those things out loud and know that 
she's not necessarily over these problems. She's not going to get over them, but continue to do the work and continue to grow and change despite all of that. And in partnership with all that, I think is a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. We also get quite a bit of Jasper Mm -hmm. um, as we are on the hunt for her um, and also just like doing all of these one-off battles. Um, Jasper's such an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. Jasper is especially interesting because this is a gem that we see go up against Steven over and over again and not be like brought to the crystal gem side, right? Like this isn't Lapis. This isn't Peridot. There are so many Mm -hmm. times where Steven is able to make friends out of his enemies. Like that's something that we've talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that Jasper continues to complicate that and continues to fight against it. And the type of like, blunt brutish anger that she has is really in opposition to the like hope and and love and empathy that Stephen mm-hmm. has and so i'm excited to like continue to see jasper she also in earthlings uh says i see how you do it now rose you want gems after they're worthless you wait until they've lost because when you're at the bottom, you'll follow anyone that makes you feel like less of a failure. Mm-hmm. And like, that is such a dark understanding because I like, there's some truth in that, right? Like yeah. there is absolutely some truth in that, but that's such a dark understanding of the way Rose collects gems that I, I don't know. I'm just I'm really interested in Jasper's perspective and how she has been built to this point and how much she fights against not just the crystal gems as a as a competitor or like as as an enemy force, but like as an ideology Mm -hmm. as as, you know, this like type of welcoming and this like contrary to the homeworld gems like just like this as this idea like Jasper Mm -hmm. seems to really hate even that idea and I think that usually when we fight against something in the way that Jasper is it underlines a struggle within ourselves that I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I I'm not sure up until this point we completely understand like what Jasper is really like struggling with within herself but it but I think that there's something there that we will able to that we will be able to explore further yeah no I completely agree with you I think that's all like completely correct I think there's something also or I think that there's something too similar to what you were saying in um, especially as Peridot like does that whole hilarious thing where she's like, ah, see, but this thing, oh no, it's glass all the way back and it's huge and it's perfect. Like Jasper is, uh, is in a sense, Captain America, right? Is the perfect so- soldier, is <laughs> huge, popped out of the ground perfectly, took out, a, a, like per one of the rubies, like took out a ton of gems the second she popped out the hole. Jasper... And we've talked a lot about what gems are programmed to do, to do and expected to do. So if Jasper comes out of the ground as the perfect soldier fighting for what she's been told is her job and she's so good at it, like to then lose all of that is something that I think is 
like damages you even if she's you know quote unquote on the wrong side like that's part of like that's that internal conflict you're talking about it to flip your worldview on its head isn't just like oh I see things differently now it's like you're you're shaken and I think she spent thousands of years being shaken because I think what is what is deemed obvious to us is even though she comes to us as an emissary of yellow diamond she's got the yellow diamond on her chest mm-hmm. and she's she's doing it under those orders and she's doing it with Peridot even though she comes with all these things she reveals in Earthlings in a very passionate way that her diamond was pink diamond because mm-hmm. she was born on earth and earth was pink diamonds colony. Um, and I think that also leads to one of the reasons she is so dead set on taking out Rose Quartz or Steven, but who she thinks is Rose Quartz because she was this great soldier and she was fighting this war and she was so good at it. And she was the, she was the best and the war was lost and her diamond is gone and now yellow diamond sends her back to earth and now this is a chance for what revenge Mm. to to finally finish what she started and should have finished because she is the perfect soldier she should have been able to get this done and she didn't and i think it's a really you're right we all say the word interesting too often (laughs) and i it's a it's a different thing to in to to look into um for sure in terms of what what sort of internal battles someone faces based on like who they think they should be and how they think they should have succeeded or not. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that we learn about Jasper in this section that honestly just like further sparks my curiosity. Like there, the fact that she is the quote unquote perfect soldier, but also came out of this imperfect beta kindergarten Mm -hmm. to me, I think, there's something more there. That's a really good point. That's the Jasper tagline. There's something more there. <laughs> There's something more there. God, God, I love Jasper. What a fascinating antagonist. Yeah. The more we get from her too, like every time we get a little bit more, I'm like, it is just, it is just very good. Musical moments. So there are only really two songs in this section, right? I feel like technically it's one, but like it becomes two. <laughs> okay, you're right. There is only really one song in this section, but we are going to talk about another one because mm-hmm. I think that it's worth talking about. Agreed. So the first one is from Greg the Babysitter, and it's I Think I Need a Little Change. I think I need a little change. <laughs> it gets stuck in my head so, so quickly. It's so Greg's songs are all very catchy. All of them. They are, and I love that we use it. Honestly, this is um, a very quintessential Greg song, right? Like, it's super catchy. It's used as... Uh, diegetic and then extra diegetic over a kind of like montage of sorts right like Mm -hmm. it's like this is the way greg's music happens in steven universe a lot of the time um and it is just it underscores the whole episode right like this is a very clear theme for the episode is i think i need a little change um Mm -hmm. that greg is growing up in through this story that is being told yeah and it's really important for I think both the audience and Steven to see these moments where Greg is shifting and growing and and developing as like a parent as a uh, person I think that it's it's important for the audience and Steven to see that like how humans grow and evolve and change uh, and how gems 
grow and evolve and change because they are slightly different, um, right? Because gems are so honestly permanent. Like gems don't actually age, but they grow and change emotionally. And I think that that is really important because Stephen is kind of, you know, a fusion in himself, right? Like Mm -hmm. Stephen is half human, half gem. And every time we get to see Greg, it's like we're learning more about Stephen's human half. Mm -hmm. But it's just a fun song. It is. It is. I 100% everything you said. Also, the fact that it overlays a montage in which we see a lot of where Stephen and Greg's habits come from. Yeah. (laughs) Including, including... Greg not having any money, so pulling food out of the trash. And when he pulls out the trash, is fry bits. <laughs> yeah. It's like, great. I love, I love Greg um, a lot. The, God, it's stuck in my head now. Like, I just keep, <laughs> I just keep flying it in my mind. I think I need a little Che. Che. Uh, the other song that I think, uh, even though we just last episode was like, when are we going to discuss this one? Uh, when it finishes, uh, it's finished. And it's the it's the official ending theme song for Steven Universe. And it's Love Like You, which we've heard clips of now from, I don't think all of Steven Universe. I think maybe halfway through season one, we start to get the, the instrumental of Love Like You. I can't quite remember. Um, but... It finishes by playing over that final sequence in bubble, uh, bubble in bubbled, and then by the when the episode ends and it it bleeds into we take that time to with for the conversation between Stephen and Garnet, and then it fades and we get the credit scene and it and it completes the song. So this is the first time that we finally are hearing um, or have heard the entirety of this song. It is the only Steven Universe song, uh, or, or only com- like a sort of finished mastered put out for show song that is sung by creator Rebecca Sugar. Um, she tends to sing a lot of the songs, um, all of her demos. You can tend to hear like, there's a really cute demo of her doing uh, uh, Stronger Than You. Mm. And so like, you can hear all the, like what she did versus how uh, Estelle interpreted it is really neat. But um, this is the only one that Rebecca actually sings. Yeah. And it's a really good song. In terms of Love Love You as well, I think exploring the lyrics is actually really interesting. However, I think we can go back and do that after the show has sort of wrapped up because the point of view of the song is something that is often discussed in fandom and there's no answer to it, but I would like to have that discussion, you and I, but like after we... Watch the sort whole of thing. Yeah. Yeah. After we have all the characters in front of us and line up like whose point of view basically this song could be from. Yeah. I think that's great. All right. So next up, Gem Lore. There was a bunch of it this time. <laughs> there was. And like just like we, we get a lot of like little tidbits, you know, there's like a mm-hmm. lot to like just like pick up. Yeah. They feel like puzzle pieces. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we see Steven's abilities kind of grow and develop. His healing ability is back and he can heal inanimate objects. Yeah, and we see that Steven and Connie confuse to fight and are able to use the uh, skills, attributes of both of them. So summoning Steven's shield and also uh, using Connie's like expert sword prowess. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that Steven can summon multiple shields and, you know, toss them around. 
Uh, little frisbee. (laughs) And Stephen can manifest spikes on the outside of his bubble, which is like a real like extra protection. Yeah. Uh, In this segment, we also get a lot of info about Rose. That is probably good background. Uh, We've talked about it already, but I think it's worth bringing up because Rose is the worst that she pooped (laughs) in bubble bismuth and told no one. Which I wrote down just because she angered me in that moment. I was like, God, Rose was awful. Yeah. Bismuth, in Bismuth, we learn a lot about Rose naturally. Um, But um, Bismuth states that Rose's sword, so the pink sword that uh, was inside Lion and that Connie fights with, was uh, that Bismuth created it. And it was created specifically so that the sword would only poof, uh, but never shatter. Which, let's, I think, bears repeating because... It's going to be important later yep. that Rose's sword can poof, poof, but cannot shatter. Yep. Bismuth also says, uh, and this is, it's so fascinating because it's a throwaway line, but like it kind of sticks in the back of your brain that uh, Rose was made on earth like all the other court soldiers. Just a line. Rose was from this earth. Except from what we've understood previously, from what we have heard from uh, specifically Pearl's memories, Rose is a homeworld gem. Uh-huh. So this is contradicting information now. And again, both of the lines, both uh, from Pearl's memory and the line uh, fr- and what we've been assuming and the line that Bismuth has is very, uh, very, very thrown away. But like these are these are things being said that don't quite line up. Just we should keep them in our pockets. Uh, we mentioned it before, but per Ruby Eyeball, Rose is the one who shattered Pink Diamond. Uh, also per Eyeball, um, Rose... Uh, when Stephen heals uh, the eyeball's cracked gem, um, that's when uh, Eyeball believes that that's Rose Quartz because Rose may have been the only gem ever capable of healing. So this is a very, very rare power that Rose was uh, that Rose had. Yeah, which is interesting because we, I feel like we see that like other gems are replicable, mm-hmm. and I think that it's interesting that Rose seems to be so unique. If Rose is per bismuth, another court soldier, yep. why isn't she like Amethyst and Jasper? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're, uh, uh, it's a lot of that right now, but also <laughs> that's exactly what the show is doing. Yeah. Um, we also get a lot of gem info, um, especially like from Centipedal. We learned during the battle against the rebels, an order came to retreat, uh, but before she could find her ship, a brilliant light and song came down and caused quote damage from the diamonds so we see with jasper that corruption can be passed to other gems so like honestly a little bit like it's a disease that's contagious mm-hmm. um and we see that gems can have different weapons among their types so like eyeball ruby has a small knife versus our ruby and her gauntlets and then some like of the fun things that is uh that happens in this section um We already talked about Love Like You, but it is the first time that we hear the whole of it uh, in this segment. Um, We have a handful of new title and cards. Uh, Beta and Earthlings, um, because it takes place in the Beta Kindergarten, has the the injector drills and sort of the sandstone background. We see the space end card with Back to the Moon and the opening card with Bubbled. Um, And then again, because Bismuth was built as a very, like as a quote unquote special event and it was built as this two-parter, there is no real title card for Bismuth. The, uh, the, The title and the story credit come over the moment where Stephen and Bismuth first come eye to eye Mm -hmm. um, which you mentioned when we talked about the episode and it's so cool looking yeah yeah it's a really it's a really interesting like moment that like stops the action 
Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like very quick, but like it's it's a really like it they start they show up and it freezes and it's kind of like directing the eye of the audience to like this is important. It really does just stamp how mm-hmm. important this person and this episode is about to be the fact that it decides to do something completely different. Oh god, that episode's so good. <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's all those sort of big things in this episode which brings us to our favorite segment called who was the most extra this week (laughs) your tone is hilarious i do it for the jokes i'll go so uh mine in this moment would probably be uh lapis and peridot in um in beta, at the beginning of beta. So at the beginning of beta, when we see Lapis and Peridot, and it's funny because Lapis is such a chill individual, like, and is very much like, no, I don't want to do this. But they are, uh, their interpretation of art is a lot. <laughs> or as they like to call it, meat morphs. Meat morphs. Um, I just appreciate their their roommate uh, sort of vibe that they got when Peridot's leaving and she just keeps screaming up to Lapis like I'm leaving are you okay what do you need What's, what season is that like she just can't help herself so like really my answer is Peridot being unable to help herself from just like trying to be the epitome of a good roommate and friend uh, she's wild love Peridot and we didn't talk about her at all today so here you go yeah. Peridot's great yeah, I can't believe we didn't talk about Peridot because honestly, like she has some really great moments when mm-hmm. she's uh, when yeah when they're in beta and she's like showing off all of the holes in the beta <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> it's just it's really funny. Yeah, um, I think that I am gonna have to go with eyeball honestly mm. um, f- because the moment where she's like, "Where were you when it happened? I saw it with my own eyeball." Like. It's it's beautiful and hilarious and it's like she's a pirate. Like I don't I don't know why Eyeball's a pirate. Let's just start there. There's just I just I I want her to be like walk the plank. <laughs> like our like there's just like this growly, like very it's just she's really funny. All of the rubies are great and like their individual personalities, but I, I think Eyeball, because we get to see so much of her in this one is like so over the top. Oh, rubies. Rubies are these rubies are funny, man. And then they're all blown into space. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so that brings us to the actual end of the episode. Y'all, thank you so much for listening. Yes, yes. Um, and as always, we would love to continue this conversation. Uh, we love talking about Steven Universe. It's so fun. There's so much great stuff that we could go on and on about. Um, so feel free to message us on social media. We are at ExtraneousPod on Twitter and extraneous.pod pod. on Facebook and Instagram. Um, in addition to uh, the socials, if you're able to and you like the show, um, we have a Patreon. Remember to head to patreon.com slash making mischief for bonus content and access to a Discord and, and, and physical merch and all this other stuff. It's a it's the most direct way to support the show if you like it. Um, but yeah, in general, like conversation is the way to go. We love talking about Steven Universe. It is, as I said earlier, a light in the everything sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, no, it's fun to talk about. Um, and we're get we're getting awfully close to the end. We are. We're like past the halfway point. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're going to do. It makes me sad. I love Steven Universe. 
Yeah. Luckily, we have the movie in future as well, so like there's a bit of a buffer before we're done. But that's uh, true. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, stay extra, guys. Bye. I know. I lost my. I lost my energy. I'm gonna pull, pull back in. Do jumping jacks. Get it back. We are so close to the end. I know. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Hey guys, remember to head to shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod for $20 off your first box. That's shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod.